everyone. My name is Nick, the host of the I Am Lee Sportscast. And joined with me today are my fellow I Am Lee Sports staff members, AJ and Lou. And this is where we talk about everything sports and infuse and highlight some of our intramural athletes and bring on student guests. Today's episode is going to take a bit of a different format because we are dedicating this episode to Black History Month. And we are going to honor and pay homage to the African-American athletes who helped pave the way for other athletes uh, to participate in the sports that we know and love today. So thank you again, AJ and Lou. I know school's pretty hectic right now. A lot of the exams are rolling out, uh, but I really appreciate the time uh, that you folks set aside to join me on this uh, podcast episode. Yeah, not a problem. Anytime I can get online to sportscast and uh, discuss something that I can relate to in the sense of being black, being in sports and, you know, uh, something that just seems to be all around my life in every matter of the aspect or every aspect of the matter. Um, yeah, I really appreciate coming on. How are you doing today, Lou? Um, I'm, I'm doing fine. Nice. Okay. So let's get started. So the one thing that I kind of want to start off with is, is sort of a history or a very short, brief overview of history of sports in America. Now, most people don't know this, but sports in America didn't become a thing until the 1880s. And it started with high school sports. And the purpose of high school sports was initially to get people active and sort of reduce this... Uh, element of comfortable means of living. And the reason why that is, is because prior to or leading up to the 1880s, there was this weird part of American culture. Uh, we sort of entered into this sort of Victorian-esque age of culture where we didn't do things that were strenuous. We were uh, trying to be proper we focused more on economic values. We focused more on business, uh, doing trade, things that didn't really require much um, strenuous work. And if you were doing strenuous work, it almost was like if you were a part of like a, a lower class or a lower socioeconomic uh, status. And it was a very odd sort of um, period in American culture, because it's almost, in a way, it's almost like living in, in, you know, Britain during this time frame, right? And the whole purpose of us breaking away from Great Britain was to sort of be on our own and instill values of freedom, um, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So it was a very odd period in American uh, culture from this particular uh, cultural viewpoint. Now, High school sports get started around the 1880s. And like I said, it's meant to sort of shake this uh, Victorian age of culture as we kind of get out of it. And, you know, sports and sweating and activities start to pop up all over the country. Um, you have uh, establishment of high school athletics. You also have college sports teams popping up as club teams. And then, you know, um, later flourishing into what we see today in terms of college basketball, college football, lacrosse, uh, volleyball, um, all of those things. So the thing about early college sports, though, is 
of course, back in this era, college was only meant for the wealthy. You know, if you were of a high socioeconomic status, you went to college because that was, that was what was expected. And a lot of the first um, collegiate players or collegiate games took place at schools like Yale, Princeton, Harvard, um, Rutgers University. Uh, in fact, the first ever college football game to take place was against uh, uh, it was Rutgers versus Princeton. Um, and it actually the funny story was is that it wasn't actually meant to be the first recorded game. Uh, Princeton players were just kind of in the area and they wanted a scrimmage. But Rutgers was also kind of interested in football and they had a team and they said, okay, well, we'll play you and we'll keep score. So, uh, and I believe it was either uh, two seasons ago that we actually celebrated the 100th anniversary of college football. So, yeah. So that's what I was going to ask if at this time when it was popping up and whatnot, was it a, was it a collective between the poor and the wealthy that were both participating in it? Or at one time, was it just the poor and the less fortunate kind of creating this thing in the streets and kind of playing and organizing it and then eventually getting popular? So it, Yeah. So we're, we're in this very weird period of, uh, you know, American culture and, it started off as sort of the Ivy League schools, you know, your Yales, your Princetons, your Harvards, your Cornells, your Dartmouths. Um, those are all Ivy League schools. And then it caught fire, like almost overnight. And that was the funny thing, because then it was like, you know, Yale and Harvard are doing it. And then, you know, schools like Notre Dame start doing it. And then schools like Ohio State start popping up and doing it. And then the Northwestern, and then, you know, you start to see all the teams that we know as powerhouses today, like the Ohio state university, um, mm. Michigan, uh, start taking shape. Yeah. And it all starts coming to fruition and it all starts taking shape. And it's funny because the rules were very, very different, very, very, very different. And one of the first, uh, pioneers of the game, uh, was Walter Camp. So he sort of redesigned the game and made it to the structure of what football is today. Mm -hmm. And granted, you know, that's kind of why they have the Walter Camp Award at the end right. of the season every year. So that's kind of who Walter Camp is. So he's kind of a big deal. Um, but, you know, not to, you know, not to uh, sort of take away from the overall purpose of the episode. So, uh, you know, and then we get to pro sports and back then, you know, it wasn't as unified as we see it today. So there were different leagues uh, going on in the country. Mm -hmm. You had the AFL and the NFL. So, you know, nowadays it's like, Oh, well that's just two separate conferences within the, the, you know, the league. Right. And right. nowadays it was actually two separate leagues at one point in America. Right. It wasn't AFC, NFC. It was AFL, NFL. And then later there was a merger and then it became AFC conference, NFC conference. Uh, you get the point. So that's sort of just the brief overall history of sports in America. Um, and sad to say that because of the time frame, things were segregated, you know, right. um, and that's just part of our history. That's something that we all have to live with. However, 
a lot of the African-American athletes that broke barriers did so a lot earlier than most people think. For example, Jesse Owens, 1936 Olympics, the first ever African-American to represent the United States in the Olympics. And he still holds, I want to say there's at least a few, two or three Olympic records that he still holds um, for the United States. But this happened in 1936. And to, to allude back to the, the his, historical timeline that we've, we've set up. So we've advanced past the 1880s. And now we're like on the verge of like getting into World War II and, and going to war with Nazi Germany at the time, who thought that the superior race was the Aryan race. And right. here comes the United States. Jesse coming to go ahead and disprove all that. Just takes the entire Olympic world by storm. And you look at it and it's like, you think of the impact that Jesse Owens had. Right, not just for America, but for the world. Yeah, it wasn't just about America, it was for the world. But of course, you know, a lot of the countries, you know, they kind of, you know, Nazi Germany had it because they hosted this, the 1936 Olympics was in Berlin. So because right. they hosted, they didn't start doing all of that stuff that we, we associate them with. Mm-hmm. They kind of started it, but then they put a hold to it because the Olympics and everybody all was going to be on that. They didn't want to just. They wanted to host the Olympics so that they can, yeah. they could show their support for their, yeah. their race. But they, they wanted that um, basically tourism for their country at the time, in, in a sense. But yeah, so that's kind of where we start to see barriers being broken. And then Jackie Robinson comes along. And the story of Jackie Robinson is he was the first African-American to ever make it into what we know as the Major League Baseball. Um, I think they were still the Brooklyn Dodgers back then. I'm not, a, I'm not too big on baseball. I, I'll admit that, but it was the Dodgers. I know that much. Um, I think they were still the Brooklyn Dodgers though. Yep. Brooklyn Dodgers. There was 1947. It was still the Brooklyn Dodgers. What Jackie Robinson did was he broke that barrier. Maybe within the same decade, the forties, we start to see, Kenny Washington, the first African-American player in, in the NFL. He was a tailback. And then shortly after that, we see Willie Thrower, who was the first African-American quarterback in the NFL who played for the Chicago Bears. And what I would like us to do is to kind of sort of maybe mention other athletes that have contributed to other sports and sort of tell their story as well uh, for those who aren't familiar with other sports. Yeah. So I think one very, uh, one person we can even talk about right now, who's um, actually in the middle of still creating history is uh, Serena Williams. Serena Williams is definitely somebody who's re- revolutionized the entire sport to the point where people are trying to 
analyze how she plays and analyze how she, you know, prepares her body and analyze everything about this amazing woman and her sister on uh, bettering themselves. You know, there's completely, there's those impactful players in a lot of different sports that just completely change rules, change perception and change understanding of a sport. And a lot of people who don't even understand tennis know Serena Williams and they know the impact she's had for it. And uh, even now she's going to the semifinals to face Naomi Osaka, who Naomi considers Serena Williams somebody she's looked up to since she was a child. You know, Naomi Osaka is only 20, 24, 25, maybe, you know, and to see, to walk up to your idol and shake their hand prior to meeting them in the semifinals of the Sterling Open is a huge thing. So, yeah, it just shows the impact that this woman's had and how long she's had it as well. Uh, yeah, and Serena Williams has, I mean, you you can't claim to know tennis without at least knowing who Serena Williams is. And that's sort of the, that's what she created. That's her legacy that she created uh, by, by being a part of that sport. Um, Lou, what are some, some of your uh, favorite athletes that broke uh, the color barrier. Um, I feel like some of those, like Muhammad Ali is one that you could bring into the conversation. I also feel like some of the um, athletes who are still active today that are um, trying to bring change into the community would be people like LeBron James has been, um, has been big in trying to speak out and give a voice to, uh, to the black community. Um, and so I, I really like what he's done. Um, I think those are two names that could be brought into the conversation. Definitely. Muhammad Ali, no doubt. I mean, he, oh gosh, probably, I mean, I know I'm probably going to catch flack for this because I don't know uh, boxing or anything, but in my opinion, I think he's, he is the best pound for pound fighter that that's ever walked the face of this earth. Um, but yeah, I don't know boxing that well, but from what I've seen, Ali is, is he's always going to be one of the greats in, in my opinion, um, not just in the sport of boxing, but overall as a, as athletes in, in the, in a general sense. But yeah, so some, some other names from different sports, uh, Bill Russell, uh, from the Celtics, he he was one to always push back on the media, um, and that was something that I thought was pretty. It was it was really, in a sense, um, uncharacteristic of the time frame, um, because usually when media people they interview um, athletes, especially professional athletes, no less, there's sort of a code of conduct. Uh, and Bill Russell was the very one to sort of push back on that because of uh, a lot of the racial injustices that were happening during that time frame. And that, I think it goes without saying that he should be noted as somebody who definitely broke uh, barriers, um, as well as Ernie Davis, the first African-American Heisman Trophy winner uh, in college football. And he, they had a whole, they made a whole movie about Ernie Davis. Um, he didn't have uh, as long of a professional career uh, 
as most people thought, because uh, I believe he died of leukemia. I think even with him facing the medical condition, it's a uh, the the legacy is what um, is what is left, and that's what people remember. You know, not a lot of people will remember. We'll always acknowledge that he had the sickness and dealt with it and passed from it, but what we'll remember him for is definitely his impact. Absolutely, and that's that's sort of uh, another uh, the word that you just mentioned, and it really sticks out is legacy. All of these athletes who were the firsts or who broke barriers or who pushed back and challenged the way of thinking at this time, they all left a legacy. They all left something so meaningful that till this day, we're still talking about it. Mm-hmm. That, you know, till this day, we still can't talk about the sport without bringing up their name or bringing up the team that they played for. You know, if you're a Celtics fan, Bill Russell, he was part of one of the biggest championship dynasties uh, for, for the Boston Celtics, you know? Helped, helped create it. Yeah. I think something that uh, that I could add, I would want to add on too, is that uh, how AJ was speaking about Serena Williams earlier. I mean, you could go even farther back and uh, look at Althea Gibson. She was the first black woman ever to uh, compete on the World Tennis Tour. And uh, she was the first one to win a Grand Slam. And I feel like what she did in the 50s paved the way for even the Williams sisters to do what they're doing now. And, um, you know, they're continuing to be to be that trailblazer for people like um, the people who are coming up today. Um, it was uh, like Naomi Osaka, who's uh, competing right now. And so I think uh, when you when you really look into it, you can just see that there's been pioneers um, all over, all over from different decades who have done so much for the, for uh, these different sports. We've got ourselves a great discussion going on here with Lou and AJ. We're headed to a break, but don't go anywhere. Stay tuned for the second half of our discussion after a few words from our sponsor. My dreams take focus. My hard work is paying off. And I'm eligible to join the Matanuska Valley Federal Credit Union since I'm going to school in Waipahu. The Waipahu Community Office is nearby. I can set up an account, establish credit, and get a loan, all online. If you live, learn, work, or worship in the Waipahu area, you're eligible to join. Federally insured by the NCUA. Welcome back, everyone, to the second half of our panel discussion here dedicated to Black History Month. We just finished uh, discussing some of our thoughts about some of the more notable athletes that really broke barriers um, in the early stages of the history of, of the sport, um, dating back to as early as, you know, 1940s. And we did talk a little bit about how sports sort of came into American culture during the 1880s, which leads us to our next topic of discussion. And it's something that I think is worth discussing because of the type of influence that some athletes have in in society today. So the topic for this particular half of our episode that's up for discussion is can athletics or sports, however way you want to phrase it, become a way of breaking social barriers? And the reason why I'm asking this is because in some uh, in some ways, 
sports is almost become a subculture in America. I think uh, one thing that you could look at is um, the movie. Remember the Titans the, um, in there? Obviously, uh, this is Virginia in the 60s or 70s. Um, the city is racially divided. The, the you know um, black the black coach comes in. We got white players, black players. But as the movie progresses on, the city comes together through football the you know the the kids on the team the players they they become you know they become friends with each other and um they they sort of get the ball rolling on on getting rid of segregation in the city and the more the the team wins the more the city starts to come together and i think that's one way that you can look at uh sports being able to break down some of those barriers and um spill over into into society and it's into the community yeah i would i would completely agree with the same thing um even using remember the titans as a reference but but even from my own personal experience from <clears throat> traveling with the military and going overseas to afghanistan even uh playing sports and playing basketball on real bulging uh, courts uh, with the locals, uh, Afghani people, um, we don't need to understand each other, but we can understand each other through sports. And that's a lot of the times how we ended up meeting different people of different cultures and becoming closer with, you know, uh, Tom from, you know, Kansas, who's never really seen an Asian person his whole life, but loves to play basketball, can come and play basketball with somebody who's uh, from a different background. It's, it's always, it's always been seen by me as a way of breaking social, uh, social barriers. And I've never seen, <clears throat> I've never seen, oh, I've never experienced anything that's as impactful of breaking social barriers in sports. You know, I think, and I think you uh you have a good point there because when you look at the NBA, the NBA is full of you know people from all different parts of the world. I mean, you know, there's tons and tons of Europeans. You have you know players from Africa, players from Canada, players from the U.S. And so, um, the NBA is really, really um like the at the forefront of showing that it doesn't matter where you're from. Uh, sports is a game that can bring people from all walks of life together. When you look at how many different ethnicities and people from all walks of life um, have come together, especially in the NBA itself. Um, it's truly monumental because you see such diversity, you see such um, camaraderie, you see such passion for the game itself. I think another person that you know should be mentioned in terms of uh, basketball is uh, Tony Parker. I mean, he came all mm. from Europe and he had such a drive and such a passion for the game. And that was his dream. That was his goal. And, you know, I know we're not sponsored by Netflix, but that documentary, I watched oh. it with some of my friends and I was, I was glued to the TV. And a lot of people that know me know that I'm not into basketball the same way as I'm into like football and volleyball because I like I study those um I usually watch basketball as as what people would say is a true fan of the game just you know for just enjoying the sport, right? enjoy the sport right um but man um just his story is is pretty crazy and I think you know that sort of opened the door to you know like Luca, uh, I can't pronounce his last name for the life of Doncic. Doncic. 
Yeah. Yeah. So Luca, um, Porzingis. I was told. Porz- Porzingis. Yeah. Kristaps yeah. Porzingis. Horrible with these European last names. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so it kind of opens the door for those stars to kind of enter into the NBA and sort of make a name for themselves and represent their country and where they're from. I think uh, another name that you would have to add into that conversation is Dirk Nowitzki. Um, I Just think about he, to say that. yeah, I think he may be one of the uh, biggest European players that people can remember during the uh, early two thousands. Um, Dirk, you know, twenty years with the with the Mavericks, uh, you brought him a ring. Um, you know, was one of the the first European superstars in the NBA. I think he would um, should be on that list as long um, with Tony Parker and even a few other people who were around, especially in the uh, late '90s and the early 2000s. Absolutely, yeah. I just shoot. I can't even believe I forgot about that. Um, but yeah, Dirk and Tony. I mean, that that really opened up another door or a whole new world in the NBA. But the thing about Sports being this subculture in America, or at least from from my point of view, I see it as a subculture that that really allows us to break over or break these these social barriers, and it later spills over into the rest of society, like how Lou was saying about uh, the Remember the Titan story. But there are so many other other instances where you see like going back to Jackie Robinson's story, like going back to Jesse Owens' story. Um, if it weren't for that, it would probably be 10 times harder for the athletes down the line, like Kenny Washington. It'd be a lot harder for Ernie Davis. It'd be a lot harder for Muhammad Ali and a bunch of other athletes that came after that. It starts off small. Right. But when you become that first, that catalyst for change, you impact and touch a lot of other people's lives so much so that they become inspired to go forth and sort of create their own legacy. I think uh, Bill Russell said it once, said it really well once. He said, I'm not here to make the, the best impact. I'm here to start the impact. And um, and I think that pairs just exactly what you said. Sometimes it's about the catalyst and the catalyst is what, you know, a lot of people don't realize during even the civil rights movement, people didn't think much of it. People thought these people were just rowdy and going against the grain and going against the grain. But as we can, as we look back now, uh, beneficiaries of those strides and those efforts, um, we see that it has made an impact and it has grown in racial and social equality since then. It's not complete, but it's not a complete fight yet, but it's still something that has started a long time ago because of these, these people. To sort of further that, I'm a firm believer that the worst phrase in the English language ever, you know, and, and it's not, it has nothing to do with any of those 13, 14 or whatever swear words that you find in the dictionary, but the worst phrase anybody can ever say in English language, in my opinion, is, well, we've always done it that way. Yeah. Because it just kills growth. It kills change. It, it inhibits people to, to take a stand for something and give meaning to it, you know? And I feel like that's what a lot of these athletes did. 
they pushed back on that phrase. They said, no, it's not, we've always done this way. It was not going to be that anymore. It's this should be the right way to sort of tie all of this together. The overall purpose of sports and athletics is something that, you know, uh, it impacts people differently. What I would like to, I guess, sort of talk about and hear from you folks is what is what do you feel the overall purpose of sports and athletics is? I would say as someone, as you mentioned, since it started in the 1880s, and I assume their reasoning for their reasoning for creating it is theirs in their own. I think uh, for me, sports is something that is, uh, I think it just even goes back to our conversation prior. It's breaking social barriers. That's just something that, um, you know, as much as I love the sport, I love to be social. And that's something I know I can always use sports as a method of communication, as a method of sharing something that I love and that I care about. Uh, with people that I don't know and I don't really have any type of relationship with, but we all from wherever we're from have this one thing in, in common and it can be, you know, it can be somebody who loves tennis or, you know, and me who loves basketball and me and you, like you're a football guy in and out and I'm, I do basketball, you know, that's my whole sport and everything. But yeah, that's how I would feel. Um, it really influences a lot of things. I think the first thing that I think about um, when I think about the overall purpose of sports is uh, kind of like AJ said, uh, it brings people together. Uh, when I first joined IME Sports, um, you know, looking at the mission statement for uh, what the mission statement was for IME Sports, bringing um, students together to uh, form, you know, relationships and and meet people. I, I think that gives a pretty good uh, picture of the main reason that uh, sports ever became, ever became a thing. And like AJ also said, you know, it's also a form of communication. So the purpose of sports and athletics, it's very, it's very, um, how do you say malleable, right? You can bend it to, to sort of, it's one of those things that you can sort of bend as either a communication tool or as a way of getting some form of organization or getting people to come together as a team and produce teamwork. Um, and that's what I think makes sports and athletics so valuable is it's an, it's a tool that's going to teach people not only how to play a game, but it's also going to teach them things like teamwork it's also going to teach them things like communication. It's going to teach them things like how to have confidence in yourself. It's also going to teach you how to develop confidence when everything is going the wrong way. Um, you know, if you're on a losing streak, you know, how you get back from that, how you build up the confidence to say, you know what, this, this is it. This is going to be the game where we turn it around. And you see examples of that not only in the game itself, if you follow the leagues or, or the sport, but you also hear stories of that in actual life. And I think that's what makes it so much more valuable. It's not the lessons you learn on the court, on the field, uh, you know, on the diamond, you know, for, for the people who listen to base or who uh, follow baseball. Um, it's more than that. It's more than just a game in some ways. Um, the, you know, the score and all that stuff. Yeah. That's just part of the game. 
But the actual lessons that you learn is so much more than just the game because you can take that with you wherever you go, whatever you do. It doesn't matter if you're a teacher. It doesn't matter if you're a marketing person. It doesn't matter if you're an engineer. And it doesn't matter if you go on to play pro ball. You're all still going to learn the same thing. I agree. I agree. Even uh, going, I think sports has even prepared me to be an adult because I have to learn to condition myself. I have to learn to mentally prepare myself, mentally not beat myself before I do something. Um, And all these things even set me up to go into the military and have success there um, and just help my growth. I guess it just really was the catalyst for my growth of becoming a mature. We've talked a lot about history. We've talked a lot about barriers being broken. We've talked about what the overall purpose is and how it can influence people to take a stand, make change. You know, like our boss Lexer says, you know, be the change that you want to see in the world. And sports is definitely a tool that you can do that. Now, let's talk about some of the current things. Okay. I know we've been boring people with history. I know some people, they might, they might be tuning out for the first part and then that's fine. But now we're going to talk about some of the current things that what we would like to see next, not only as people who are, are avid followers of the sport, but for the fans as well. So what other barriers are out there that we would like to see broken? Like what is the next level of change that we should see? I think one, um, that I think is becoming very popular is trans transgender in sports. Now, I think that's something that we should definitely incorporate. And I think um, we should even start considering a transgender league for UFC because, you know, there's UFC, there is uh, soccer players, and I'm sure there's other sports that transgender um, people are trying to get themselves involved in, um, but are facing these difficulties about them. Um, and, you know, not a lot of different areas in our nation, especially in the world, are accepting to as transgender people. So I think that next that next hurdle and that next uh, huge influential uh, societal step we can take is really um, opening up this sport to include more people, you know, because now we're getting to a time and age where it's, you know, a lot of people are wanting to be identified the way they want to be identified and sometimes feel safer playing or participating in things with people they identify with. So I think that will be a huge change and something that we should look forward to in the future is really incorporating a lot of different uh, types of people into our uh, sports. I, I believe another one would be, and that this is something that's actually being uh, talked about now uh, around the NFL mainly is the, is having more black owners and black coaches in both the NFL and the NBA, especially on the uh, owner side, had just having more black owners in the NFL. This has been a something that I've been hearing in across the NFL uh, chats for at least a couple of months now, where they want to include more diversity and give more chances to those black coaches who are trying to get trying to get a you know get that spot in in the league. And I think that's something that that I would like to be behind as well. I feel like we we should have more diversity with our coaches and our owners as much as we do with our, with our players. I also feel like um, how the UFC, they recently did over the last few years implemented, you know, they brought in the women's um, weight classes for, as far as fighting, I, I feel like maybe a, um, 
sort of maybe a foot a foot a female football league if not mm-hmm. getting women into the sport of football then creating uh, a women's league for football I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of other women out there who would like to play football I'm one myself if I could have growing up I would have played football and so I think that would be another thing that could uh, become something in the future a lot of people thought that the biggest snub or the biggest head coaching snub was was Eric Biami because of what he did for Kansas City and how he just sort of turned that offense around. The Brooklyn Nets, they just hired Steve Nash as a coach, first time head coach. Um, I don't even think he's had experience as uh, assistant coach since he left the Lakers in 2012, I believe it was, or 13 or 14. Um, And they were talking about how there's so many of these black coaches who've been doing assistant jobs, uh, assistant head, uh, head coaches, um, and just putting in their time and their effort into this. And then Steve Nash, who is in his own right, a legend, you know, he is very much a legend, Canadian legend from um, Canada who came to our sport, completely changed the point guard position. Kind of, they feel like he, the conversation is that it's felt that he kind of got given the job as opposed to earning it. And um, that's a huge conversation in the, in the league right now as well as uh, getting more black owners, as Lou would say, getting more black owners and people in the executive positions to really to represent the, dem- the, the demographic of the league. Right? Uh, but some of the things that I would like to see talk about. So, to, so let's go back to the Eric Bieniemy story. OK, he didn't get an interview. The NFL actually has a rule. It's called the Rooney rule. The Rooney rule is basically. NFL teams are required to interview minority candidates. Not necessarily hire. Right. I was about to say, not hire them. Required. (laughs) At least to interview, I think it's like one or two minority candidates for the job. But what I would like to see is a college addition to the NFL's room. And the reason why I say that is because there aren't as many African-American college coaches and why. So that's definitely something that I would like to see because it's one thing just to say you interviewed somebody. It's another thing to, to say, welcome aboard. You're going to be the face of our university's football program or welcome aboard. You are now the face of the so-and-so organization in the NFL, you know? And I think that's something that we need to see more of as as a society, like we need to see more diversity in the coaching ranks. And another thing that I'd like to see is, in addition to what Lou was talking about, what I would like to see more that's not taking place or not, I feel that needs to needs a little bit more of a push in terms of uh, progressiveness is I'd like to see a lot more females in players, coaches, PMs. That's what I would like to see. And here's the reason why. Like, let's hypothetically say I'm 20, 30 years down the line. I have children. And my daughter comes up to me and says, you know, I want to do what you do, Dad. I, 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 that's, that's my career goal. I want to do what you do. It would break my heart to have to tell her no, simply because she's the wrong gender. And not even that she's not capable of it. It's simply because of her gender. And I think that the NFL, they are sort of progressing. There's a lot of uh, female assistant coaches. There's a lot more than than there were. Um, 
the 49ers had uh, they've retained their assistant coach. Um, but what I would like to see is maybe more movement into other positions, like say, okay, like with the example of the 49ers, maybe if she, as I think she's a practice coach assistant at the moment, but later on, why not offer her the position coach job? Why not? You know, that's all I'm saying. And, you know, down the line, if there is somebody who is qualified enough, why not see a female general manager in the NFL? Mm -hmm. Right. And especially, you know, from, you look at, I mean, history was made this past college football season. Sarah Fuller of Vanderbilt University became the first female athlete. She is the first female to ever play on a power five team. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, power five, meaning that's like your big time conference, you know, like the SEC, the Southeastern right. Conference, right? And, and on the back of her helmet, there was actually a message on the back of her helmet that she put like a little sticker and it said, play like a girl on the back. Just to take a shot at all those who say it, right? I thought that was something else because when you bring it to this national stage and you, you sort of, you embody that, you know, and you put a message like that on the back of your helmet, play like a girl, you know, that stands for something. That's a big deal. I could just imagine a teenage girl looking at that and being like, I mean, if I if she could kick, I can at least kick or I can at least throw the ball far, you know, and start thinking down that path of, oh, well, you know, maybe I don't want to be going head up with a linebacker, but maybe I can put my efforts here on this part of the team and be good at it. Right. I would imagine a soccer player for a college, for a D1 college would be a good kicker for a football. Right. And that sort of leads me to... Um, and the next sort of question along this discussion line, we look at Sarah Fuller, we look at LeBron James, we look at athletes like Colin Kaepernick. And the biggest question I think we need to ask is how can the next generation of athletes help influence society and make it better than what it is right now? Right. Who are the true pioneers of change? Versus who's just looking for attention? I think that's an interesting question you asked. Um, I think that is a, as trying to figure out who are those looking for attention and who is the real pioneers, um, I think they read themselves out as the time goes on. Those people start contradicting themselves and start looking for ways mm-hmm. to to garner that attention. And sometimes that goes against what you said last week. Um, as opposed to the true pioneers, they lose a lot of things. They lose ben- they lose benefits. They lose social uh, standing. They lose uh, money a lot of times. Colin Kaepernick has been out of a job for, you know, I don't know how long, what, 2012 now or 2011? Yeah, he's been out for a long time, but his his job, his real job hasn't stopped. And his real job is that social fight and that racial fight. and um, that's what makes the pioneers of change pioneers. Uh, regardless of how much attention the media gets, they're going to continue the fight regardless. At the end of the day, those people who are just looking for attention, they're going to weed themselves out. They're going to do something um, that someone's going to notice and um, it'll become clear that they're not doing it for the right reasons. And when you're on that stage, everything that you do is going to get analyzed. So it, it doesn't take much to slip up and 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 then we'll see you know what your true purpose is but then you have the ones 
who are actually trying to make a change, they're losing, you know, they're losing their, their livelihoods. Like how AJ said, you know, Colin Kaepernick, he's been out of a job for years now, but he still hasn't um, stopped fighting for what he believes is right. And there's a lot more to what he has done than what a lot of people see and what they realize. If you actually look into his story, he's done way more for the community than just, you know, kneeling during the national anthem. And so um, just to kind of add on to what AJ said, it was, you know, the, the ones who are here for the right things will, will get noticed and the ones who aren't, they'll get weeded out. What the bottom line is, is that as far as sports and athletics, breaking barriers, changing people's minds and hearts, we're not done yet. We're not done yet. And I think that's the most important thing that needs to be emphasized when we talk about sports and athletics as an avenue for, for social change is we're not done yet. We are nowhere near done yet, folks. And I think that each even relates back to your question on who is just looking for attention. Those looking for attention to be like, oh, well, I'm done here. You know, I brought attention to the social issues going on in this and I'm done. Um, a real true a uh, fighter for social and racial justice knows that the fight don't stop till it's all, till it literally stops. Well, I think that just about does it. Um, I mean, really thought provoking conversation that we've had here. And I hope that, um, I hope that inspires you and challenges you to, to really listen to maybe some other people that are around you who have been trying to say the same thing. And I hope that we inspire you to, Keep going. And with that, um, AJ Lou, any concluding thoughts for some of our listeners? I have none. I think uh, right now you're, the listeners should have a lot of thoughts in their mind about um, our discussion today. And I think that's, uh, that's a good place to leave them. Yeah, same. Um, I think this entire um, podcast is going to leave the viewers with a lot of things to consider moving forward when they, next time they turn the TV on and, and see a game on, you know, uh, the things that are going to resonate with them when they look back on on this podcast and remember the things that we were able to talk about today. That is all the time we have today, everyone. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Instagram is at I am Lee Sports, and be sure to support our sponsors that we advertise on the show. It helps them out and it helps us out. We are on Spotify. For those of you that listen to the music app Spotify, if you have the Spotify app, please search I am Lee Sportscast and select follow so that you can get the latest updates on when we release new episodes every week every week we're going to come at you with something new and something thought-provoking every now and then mixed in thank you so much to all of our listeners we appreciate your support and as a reminder stay healthy stay safe and stay tuned for our next episode of the imd sportscast once again thank you to my fellow staff uh colleagues aj and lou for accompanying me on this episode. Until we meet again next time, mahalo everyone.